Welcome to the Living Well Podcast. I'm Mark Hennick. This is a show about change. A lot has changed recently, or is changing, or has become desperately obvious that it needs to change. For many of us, the COVID-19 pandemic pulled the rug out from under our normal life. Nothing is normal anymore. Whether we'll go back to the way things were or find some new normal remains to be seen. But whatever happens next, we're faced with the prospect of figuring it out as we go. And that's why this is also a show about resilience. It's about how we're adapting to the massive changes we've faced across virtually every aspect of our lives, and how we can hopefully use this opportunity for good. In this episode, we explore parenting through a pandemic. We'll meet Courtney Taylor. She became a single mom just weeks before the COVID-19 pandemic was declared. Courtney's also a mental health advocate, and she says her own recovery has better equipped her to be a parent. But first, we get some perspective on all this from one of Canada's most read parenting experts. My guest is Anne Douglas. Anne is the author of Happy Parents, Happy Kids, uh, and Parenting Through the Storm, among a, a wide range of other books on parenting. Uh, she's the weekend parenting columnist for CBC, uh, and I'm joined on the line by Anne. Anne, hi, how are you? Good. How about you, Mark? Good. Thank you very much. It's been, you know, I, I have uh, three kids, six and under, uh, and it's been a, a, a problematic pandemic as a parent. <laughs> and that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. How are parents dealing with the pandemic? Oh, man, oh, man. It has been, I think, the most intense experience I've witnessed in my many years of like being a parent, writing about parenting, researching parenting. So many times I've been part of conversations, you know, maybe a community town hall or, organized by a particular group where people have actually started crying. I've never been part of so many calls where parents were actually crying because they feel like they've hit their wits end. That, you know, parenting was a juggling act before the pandemic, but now so many of the supports that made it a reasonably manageable juggling act have been yanked out from under people. So everybody is scrambling. Everybody's feeling like they're letting down their employers, their kids, their partners, their friends. There's just, it's like a tsunami of exhaustion and guilt. Mm, let's go back to uh, March when the initial uh, announcements started to roll in and, and, and really in many ways the trauma and the shock uh, of such a dramatic change uh, in our lifestyle. Um, how, how were parents navigating that? You know, suddenly not being able to send your kids to daycare, suddenly not being able to go to work yourself or needing to work at home. Uh, right. How did parents navigate that initial shock? Well, I think at first uh, there were a couple of things going on. First of all, people were like really scared because every day when you tuned into the media, there were more and more alarming stories about this virus that we honestly didn't know very much about. And yet there was also this like, we can do this raw, raw kind of thing. Like, you know, it's a short term sacrifice because at the time they were talking about, you know, maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, and so everybody thought, okay, you know, we're being asked to put our own lives on hold and to make big changes, but it won't be for long and it's for the common good and we can do this. 
And then it dragged on and on and on. And I think that's when the exhaustion started to set in. And, uh, you know, initially people treated it like an extended March break or, you know, midwinter sort of, you know, interruption to their lives. Um, but as it came out the other side and they were expected to go back to work and to juggle all these things, that's when I think the stress started to ramp up because, uh, it's not like the entire country decided all at once they wanted to work from home. It wasn't a choice. It was something that a lot of people found themselves sort of, you know, scrambling to make happen. And likewise, the whole remote learning thing. I don't even want to call it homeschooling because it did not feel like home or school, I think, in the midst of that mess. And the fact that even now, we really don't know when we're coming out the other side of these, this truly extraordinary time. So a lot of mental exhaustion. I think that, you know, parenting, so much of parenting happens inside your head at the best of times. And now we've had to sublet some of that mental real estate to like problem solving the issues of a pandemic. Mm. And now as we start to, as the economy starts to reopen for better or worse, while workplaces are reopening, daycares and schools still aren't. Um, so parents are now scrambling to try to figure out, well, we still can't, uh, you know, have a babysitter over yet or the babysitter isn't comfortable coming over. Uh, we can't have access to childcare. Um, are employers uh, on the whole understanding uh, of this dynamic? Uh, what, what have you been hearing? Well, there has definitely been a lot of effort to try to support people behind the scenes. I mean, a lot of the conversations I had this spring were hosted by employers trying to sort of say to their employees, like, yeah, we get it. It's not a normal time. But I also think that that hasn't magically erased the expectations. And then there are a lot of like internal expectations. I heard a lot of people saying that they, you know, they take great pride in their job and in being a reliable coworker that other people can count on. And some days they just can't do it. So a lot of the time I was talking with people about sort of like modifying those expectations. If in normal times you can set the bar this high, uh, you have to drop that down a bit when all of your usual supports are not in place. And you were talking about formal things like childcare and school. Like even just being able to say to the neighbor across the street, like, you know, I'm having the day from you know where, uh, can, can somebody, you know, take my kid for an hour or two so that I can do this emergency thing that has to happen? Like that was taken off the table as an option. And you can see how very quickly it began to feel like a really, like almost like a lot of parents were me reaching the breaking point. So I think just people are really carrying around a pretty heavy burden even to this moment. And, and I think the other thing we have to talk about is the fact that there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all parenting experience. So there's certainly a no such thing as a one-size-fits-all experience of parenting in a pandemic. I think parents, and you've probably heard this, uh, you, you maybe have experienced this yourself, they carry a lot of guilt, you know, if they've done right by their kids, if they've totally screwed them up, uh, you know, and, and all of the research seems to suggest that the vast majority of kids turn out just fine, more or less, whatever that even means. Um, so I think that I've really found it valuable as a parent to realize, okay, you know, didn't quite do my best parenting in that moment. Uh, but if we can have some of these joyous moments, some of these great memories and experiences, the kids are probably going to remember those ones instead anyway, that they do, they really do tend to balance it out. And that does help, I think, to alleviate some of the, um, in my case, chronic Irish Catholic guilt that I carry with me everywhere I go. <laughs> yes, I've, I've had to learn how to embrace imperfection myself. Uh, you know, I, I 
I often think back to like, you know, how I'd be trying so hard. And then, you know, I think the more pressure you put on yourself, the more likely you are to sort of like, you know, crack at some point, you just feel like, no, that's unsustainable. And so at some point, I figured out that if I could be imperfect, and talk that through with my kids, I actually was helping them to develop a really important skill because they could see that you don't have to be perfect to have people love and care about you. And you can fix things when they go off the rails, as they often do in families, especially in, you know, hothouse conditions like what we've had in recent months. So I think just being willing to say, you know what, I blew it. I was grumpy today. That wasn't a fair thing that I said, or you asked permission to do this. And I said, no way, never in a million years. Maybe I should have thought that through before that popped out of my head. And, uh, you know, let's do a redo on that. That's okay. I think it's better than okay, actually. And I, and I sometimes run the risk of over silver lining things out of a survival mechanism. But there's this wonderful concept in, in child development of mismatch and repair, that, that all relationships, but especially relationships between parents and kids, are this constant screwing up and fixing, screwing up and fixing on both sides, and that it actually helps to deepen and elaborate the relationship even more. So who knows, maybe we'll be, maybe our kids will be better off uh, as a result of navigating this together. Well, I find that even just having had some, you know, prior family challenges of of really hard things like getting through a house fire, getting through the stillbirth of a baby, that when we were faced with the pandemic, it was like, okay, this feels like familiar territory where all the rules change overnight and you have to figure out how do you go on even though you're scared and uncertain and all the other emotions. So we do develop that kind of capacity as a result of doing this kind of thing. And even what you were saying about sort of the mismatch thing, that made me think about how parenting is often about modeling something, right? So I'm thinking like some of my kids grew up to be incredibly um, sort of mechanically inclined because my husband loves to tinker on machines and work on cars and stuff. So a couple of them followed him around and they've almost intuitively picked up that skill. The other two didn't ever want to go out in the garage, so they don't have those capacities. But it's interesting to think of that as sort of how it works, right? Like, even in the emotional mud, when we when we all, you know, fall off the wagon, or whatever you want to say, whenever we have like our worst day of parenting, we can say, okay, this is what it looks like when everybody's in their worst place. Now, how do we climb back out of the mud pit again and get back onto solid ground together? And maybe I can reach for you and give you a little bit of compassion and help out of the the mud pit. And maybe you can do likewise to me. Because I find that even in the most heated discussion with with a loved one, there's that moment of connection and compassion where you look in the other person's eye and you recognize they're trying their best and I'm trying my best and why don't we just cut each other a little bit of slack here. Mm, yeah, I, uh, it sounds to me like you're talking about this idea of co-regulation, that yeah. if your kid is misbehaving and you're yelling at them, it's, it might not be helping. It might be exacerbating the situation because they're feeding off off of your energy in many ways. And, you know, I think all parents, I've certainly, I think, improved as a parent to realize we need to take down the temperature here. And that can start with me, right? Because yeah. I'm the adult here. Somebody has uh, to break the cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, what other kinds of strategies uh, do you think can be helpful for parents who are dealing with kids with a lot of pent up energy, uh, who have to stay in the house, uh, who don't understand because they're kids what's going on? What, What are some strategies parents can use to help their kids through this difficult time? 
I think to have really realistic expectations of the kids. Uh, don't expect a two-year-old to behave like a five-year-old. Don't expect your teenager to say, oh, it's okay if I have to be socially distant from my friend for weeks on end. No worries. I'll be mature about it. That's not realistic, right? Um, so I think that is a, a big piece of it. And I also think just um, looking for ways that you could maybe give them the attention they need in the moment. Because I think when we're torn in all directions, we can't really pick up on the, you know, the underlying messages of what our kids really need. And so in order to get our attention, sometimes they have to stand there, and this is a direct quote from my kids over the years, go, mom, 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 you know, like almost <laughs> waving their hands in front of my face. Oh yes, there's a kid here, you know. Um, we don't want them to have to feel like they have to really act out to get our attention. I think just being able to be open to the subtler cues. And that means having like attention switching strategies because so many people are telling me like, you know, they're having to be on Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting and then they're trying to answer emails and so on. And so that when the child's trying to interact with them, it feels like an interruption. So I think organizations have to be realistic and recognize that, Somebody with a toddler cannot do five hour long Zoom calls back to back. That's just not going to work in anybody's universe, right? So maybe having breaks between calls or giving people permission to be able to say, you know what, I'm going off camera. I'll be, I'll rejoin the call when I can so that people, parents in particular, don't feel like they're sandwiched between a rock and a hard place because that's a really terrible feeling. And that stress then spills over from the, the parent slash employee to the kid because you know, the kids seen as like a problem to be solved as opposed to a human being to relate to. You know, and, and I can certainly relate to that being, you know, trying to record this podcast during often nap times uh, while my kids are napping in the other room. Sometimes it comes very, very close and I'm glad that you don't hear uh, some of the background, but I'm also uh, uh, grateful that I think people would understand if they totally. heard uh, a couple of those are some of the most background. viral videos of the pandemic. Right? <laughs> they certainly have been. Well, and that's all the time that I have uh, today. Uh, but I want to thank you very much, of course, for coming on uh, to share your deep knowledge in this respect. Uh, Anne Douglas is the author of Happy Parents, Happy Kids and of Parenting Through the Storm and, and a number of other books. She's also the weekend parenting columnist for CBC. Anne Douglas, thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by WellCan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the WellCan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. WellCan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well Podcast and your host, Mark Hannick. Any conversation about parenting, it's also pretty vital, I think, that we have a conversation with an actual parent. Courtney Taylor is a fellow mental health advocate just like me. She also happens to be a still new mom. Her baby was born by intrauterine insemination uh, back in January. So she's actually lived most of her little life so far with her mom in quarantine. The postpartum period is, of course, an important time for connection and adaptation in so-called normal times. Now, it's even more important as they navigate quarantine together. 
So I think you'll find this conversation on how Courtney has been navigating this to be especially interesting. I was fairly lucky. I got pregnant on the second go around um, at 36. <laughs> so, um, and then uh, she was born January 9th, a couple weeks early. Um, luckily for me, because I can't imagine being a mom having the baby during quarantine. Luckily for me, I had a couple months before that hit. Um, but I mean, even without that, uh, the first two weeks postpartum, having never been pregnant, never having had a baby before, you know, you know that there's this postpartum in this fourth trimester and everybody talks about it. Um, and uh, I came home and within about a half an hour of being home completely fell apart. And then for the next two weeks was panicked. Is this just postpartum that everybody goes through? Or for me, is this something else? And well, I, and that, yeah. th- that's something else for you. So you have a history of a mental illness, which puts exactly. you in a, a higher risk group uh, exactly. as, a new, as a new mom. Um, yes. w- what was that experience like for you being sent home? Did you feel um, both uh, or, or did your did your care team uh, monitor that and check in on that and give you the resources and support that you needed uh, from your perspective? Yeah. So to be honest, my anxiety almost seemed to have completely, well, dissipated a great deal during the pregnancy. I wasn't really anxious at all during the pregnancy. I had a fantastic pregnancy. Even the next day in the hospital, nothing, no anxious thoughts even came across my mind. It was only within about a half an hour of being home where I kind of, I had to do this and I had to do this. And I was like, oh my God, how do I do this? Um, And I had put a postpartum doula in place ahead of time. So I kind of put my supports all in place. Um, my doctor, my regular GP, had always said she'd monitor me closely. And I've actually been part of a study at Women's College Hospital in the Reproductive Life Stages program before I got pregnant. So I had their resources that I could tap into just because I was part of this study, which was lucky. So I did, in fact, do that um, about a week in just in case these feelings didn't go away. And it wasn't the regular, quote unquote, postpartum. But for me, it was something else. So mostly it was a feeling of fear around this isn't just the normal stuff for me. It's going to throw me into a depression and how am I going to feed her and how am I going to do this and what's going to happen? So um, that definitely was a bit of a whirlwind, but luckily I did come out of it and it was just the normal that everybody experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is an important point because, you know, it's hard anyway, is what I hear you saying. It, it's a difficult transition, of course, which every mother knows that. And and, and men, I think, I and hope, fathers. Mo- most fathers know that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I mean, I have three kids, all six and under. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of kids, uh, especially during a pandemic, so, though. So it's, it's hard anyway, making that transition. Uh, and then it's made harder still uh, by, all, uh, by the social distancing in particular. So, Courtney, you know, you have your baby in January. Uh, mm-hmm. March comes along and everything's shuts down everything changes what was that like for you um so in the beginning i mean doing this by choice on my own my village was going to be a massive part of it and i'm very fortunate that i have a huge village um people were more excited about this baby coming than i was (laughs) to be fully honest (laughs) with you um so in the first two months it was almost like a revolving door of visitors and you know this person was going to come and i could have a nap and this you know um and then my mom, thankfully, I haven't been fully alone. My mom moved in with me to help me out. Um, but then COVID hit and everything did just shut down. So um, no more bitters, uh, you know, none of this. Um, and to be honest, I think I really compartmentalized the whole thing. 
it was almost like a, okay, you know, this is going to be a month or two, we can hang on and get through this. And I think as time has gone on, even just the past couple of weeks, I'm starting to, and perhaps as I'm getting more and more comfortable in my role as a mother, I'm allowing more to come to the surface. And in the past couple of weeks, I've kind of been like, okay, it's been, you know, four and a half months. And we're starting to, I think, not just me, but other people too, starting to kind of realize, okay, how much more, I thought I could hang on. And now that this is continuing, what do I do now that it's not just hanging on anymore? This is kind of going to be how I have to make it work. Um, you know, I can't just have anybody over to help. It's me, it's my mom. Um, and the inability to um, access things that I think we often before took for granted, story time at the library, um, you know, stuff like that. I have three other girlfriends who are off on mat leave. We were going to do stuff together that completely went out the window. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to sit in um, that, that feeling. Um, you know, I remember a while ago saying how ripped off I felt like I feel really ripped off that this is how it's turned out for me. But then, and I think we all do this, I feel bad for feeling ripped off because at the end of the day, I'm not sick. Nobody I know has died from COVID. Like people are dying around the world. So it's like really so self-deprecating, right? What do I have to be so ripped off about? But, you know, we know trauma and we know experiences aren't comparable. It's not a competition. So there, other people's strife doesn't invalidate mine, but um, I really have to work on taking time to sit in that feeling of being pissed, being feeling ripped off, feeling sad of what I've missed out on. Um, and allow myself to go there because I really think I've kind of just shoved it down so that you could kind of stay above water. It's just too much. I think maybe it's just too much all at once. I'm interested in knowing if, if you, if any of the skills that you've learned in your recovery uh, of your mental health, and I, I very much think that recovery is a learned skill uh, yeah. more so than something that's injected into you uh, or, or otherwise inserted into you. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in knowing if your recovery skills that you've built up over time through uh, managing your mental health uh, have played a helpful role in your parenting and especially the parenting in the pandemic. Uh, yeah, probably definitely. I would say I have a, I have a, an easier, I don't know, but easier. I have a better knack for knowing exactly when something is off. I can, you know, as soon as I feel that little, it was a couple of weeks ago and I thought, hmm, something doesn't feel quite right today. I'm having this thought. I recognize this from here. Um, and immediately I'm on the phone with this person. I'm making an appointment with this person. I know what to do. Whereas I think if, you know, this is kind of brand new to you, you're kind of treading water. You don't know what's happening. Whereas I know exactly where to go. Um, and I have skills that I may not have otherwise had. If I having a flood of anxiety, I know immediately what breathing to tap into. Um, you know, I know the self-talk to turn to, and you know, there's just things that you say you learn over time, you hone them like any other skill. It gets, you know, you get better at it. Um, so hundred percent, I remember somebody saying to me, um, when I was feeling, you know, in that postpartum phase, someone saying, in a way you have a leg up because you can recognize this immediately and you know what to do where somebody who has no experience with any kind of mental illness, they don't know what's happening and they don't even know how to verbalize it. They don't even know how to reach out for help. You know, it's instantly and you can take action. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, so I would say hundred percent. Yeah. It definitely makes a difference. doesn't always make mm -hmm. it any easier, but it makes a no. difference. Yeah, sure. Courtney, you mm -hmm. mentioned that your daughter's name is hope. It is. What's, what's the story of her name? Um, you know what? It, 
was two months in. I didn't know boy or girl, and I, you know, had lists of names circling. And as soon as it kind of came to me, I knew immediately, and I was like, please let it be girl, please let it be girl, because I know this name for sure. The boys, I kind of juggled around, but as soon as Hope came to me, I was I was set. Um, and mostly, um, I liked it because it's not as popular anymore, and I like things that you don't hear everywhere. Um, sorry, Mark. <laughs> Um, it's true. <laughs> it's a popular one. Um, I just wanted something a little bit different. Um, and the mean, the word I think both for my history, as far as the mental illness goes and hope can mean so many things. It's all encompassing also in the hope of still being able to have a child and be a mother without a partner. So I just find the word, I mean, the word is so heavy. It can carry so many things for so many people. And it just had just took on so much meaning for me for my life, for my future, for everything. Um, you know, it can be hope for the future. Like she's part of this new generation. What can they do? Like the meanings are endless really. So, um, so I just knew that was going to be it. And it's, it's worked, um, you know, during the pandemic mark, you're on my social media feed. So, you know, every day I take a picture and I call it the daily hope. Um, and you know, it's just a picture of her, but she's a pretty happy baby. She's good. I've been pretty lucky. Um, so the amount of people who tell me that, it's been rough and some days they just look forward to a picture of her face because we know babies, they're innocent, they smile, they laugh, they make us laugh even if we're feeling terrible. So, um, you know, she's brought other people hope too. So she's kind of already lived up to her, lived up to her name. More importantly for you as a parent, does she give you hope? She does because she's, she's, you know, she's so brand new. You can, she can be anything we can, you know, she can be molded, however, not that I want to mold her, but, you know, they have a chance to start something new. Um, there's no limitations. There's no bias. There's nothing. It's just, you know, just like we see kids and youth nowadays and how much different I think they, they can be and how maybe they can change things for the better. They do. The new generation, they are what give me hope for the future when we feel like, oh, my God, like things are terrible. You can look and see, you know, 11-year-olds marching in the streets or you know, organizing stuff that you'd never dream of doing when we were 10 or eight or whatever, but they're there doing it. So they're the, they're the ones who are going to make the change, I think. Well, I think if anything can be helpful for all parents trying to navigate the pandemic, it's a little more hope. We all need a little bit Cor of hope. We all need a little bit of hope. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.